1: to another episode of the Under the Dome podcast. We're back after taking a little bit of a break just like the Notre Dame football team took a break this past week. I kind of just took the opportunity to work on some things and not record and do those types of things and get some other things out of the way. Haven't even talked to you since uh, before the Pittsburgh game so uh, we've got a lot to catch up on and to do that today I have two of my good friends Nathan Urbach and Paul Walsh on the line. We're going with a uh, three-person podcast today. Guys, um, Nathan, how's it going, man?
2: It's going well, Ben, going well. Excited to see some more Irish football this weekend. Absolutely. A little long hiatus. It's nice to
3: to get some football back.
1: For sure. And, Paul, how are you, my friend?
3: Great. Glad to be with you guys. Uh, Like Nathan, I, too, am excited. Um, As much as I miss them, however, it's always nice to give my old ticker a break. Or, yes. Uh, yes, to, I am excited to be back.
1: <laughs> That's that is a good way to put it. Um, you know, I I missed Notre Dame football this week, but at the same time I relished in the relaxation I got, I guess, as far as not having to uh get up for a game or uh, you know, sweat out a I don't know, a, a close victory over a lesser opponent or any of that stuff. So anyway, um, I, I appreciated that. So first of all, I want to thank the good people at Electrasound. They're one of our sponsors. They've hooked me up here with you know the microphone that I use for this show and um, a couple of other audio accessories that make make things go here at the Under the Dome podcast. They're an audio company in, based in Ohio, but they service Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and you know, probably you could get them to, uh, you know, get outside of that uh, geographic region as well. So, if you're interested in audio recording, renting equipment, buying equipment, go to electrosound.com, that's E-L-E-C-T-R-I, the word sound.com, and, uh, you know, hit them up. They've helped me out, they'll help you out as well. So, thanks to Electrosound. Okay, guys, so, um, I want to talk a little bit. We don't do an awful lot of this usually on the Under the Dome podcast, but I'm going to take the opportunity to do so now. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit of, uh, I don't know, some, uh, some other college football type stuff because, you know, now seems like a good time to do it since we don't actually have a Notre Dame game to uh, officially talk about. So, anyway, um, first of all, let me just ask you guys, and we'll start with Nathan on this one, um, your takeaways from this weekend of college football, Notre Dame and or otherwise.
2: Yeah, and obviously you gotta, you got to like that a team in front of Notre Dame lost in Ohio State, um, you know, helping Notre Dame move up to number three. Um, and then, you know, I don't like to toot Michigan's horn too much just because, you know, obviously they're you know, a huge rival, but uh, you know, it was nice to see them have a you know, get a nice victory on, you know, on the road against one of their, you know, one of their bigger rivals, and you know, it's probably fair to say at this point that Notre Dame has the the best uh, the best win on their resume. And unlike last year when they had the best loss on their resume, it's better to be on the winning side of that uh, of that kind of argument. So, uh, I mean, obviously, it was a great great weekend for for Notre Dame, even though they were on bye uh, with, like I said, a, a team losing in front of them, and then you know, one of the opponents that they played and beat you know doing
3: well as well Paul what about you yeah I mean obviously Ohio State's a big one uh it seems like the curse of the number two team um strikes again um I read an article I think it was today about you know how the number two teams what was that a couple years ago like six times the number two team went down I think we're at two this year right between Georgia and Ohio State um so that's obviously a big takeaway. Good for Notre Dame. Um, I was admittedly, I was at a wedding this weekend, but I was catching up on a lot of things, but aside from the Ohio state game, um, I'm intrigued by LSU. Um, I'm not, I'm not so sure that they have a sustainable offense. Um, you know, and obviously they, they have Bama coming up. Um, but, uh, they're intriguing. Uh, they're, they're intriguing as it stands right now. Um, you could argue that, um, Uh, you know, they're, they're, I'm interested to see when we, and we might talk about this later. I'm interested to see when the playoff rankings come out, um, where we are in relation to LSU. I think that'll tell a lot about that human element in the room, um, as it, as it comes to ranking their wins versus our wins to this point.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point with LSU. Um. If you had to rank them, I'll just ask you this right now. If you had to rank teams right now, where does LSU fall in your uh, top four? I'm assuming you've Ooh. got Bama first.
3: I mean, I'm. I'll tell you this, just on resume alone right now, and, and I'm not saying that it's the best team. Um, I would. I think. I think that um, resume-wise, I think LSU actually has a better resume than Clemson does.
1: Yeah, um, I, I I think it, that's it, fair.
3: So um, you know whether whether when it all shakes out, Clemson will be the better team or not. I mean, you know, we'll we'll see. Um, history has said they put it together, um, but um, I don't know. I mean, I I guess as it stands right now, you know, I I could see you know Bama number one. I could see based on the resume right now. I could see um, LSU easily two or three. Um, Clemson three. I mean, I, I really think it's their, It's getting to the point now where it's almost interchangeable um, with the resonates we see right now. Um, but, I, you know, we have, we have three top 25 wins. So we have to be right up there, too. Um, but again, you know, it all that the human element comes down to the eye test.
1: Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Nathan, your thoughts on LSU, because I'm interested to see how you feel about this one as well
2: yeah i mean i kind of echoing paul's thoughts i mean lsu has a strong resume i i i sort of agree in terms of i don't know if they're sustainable in terms of their offensive uh, prowess um they obviously have a good defense and they're in the sec so they're going to get props for you know for playing an sec schedule and you know and beating teams like georgia and um you know and possibly Bama if they, if they can get that uh w but uh but yeah, I mean, just on rec- I mean record alone, I'd probably have them at number four right now, just because they do have a loss, and I don't think Florida is that good. Um, so, that, I mean, I think that is a little bit of a um, a damper on their uh, otherwise impressive resume. Um, you know, and then obviously, I think you have to give credit when credit's due with a team like Clemson, who has you know no losses, and obviously Notre Dame, who has an impressive resume in their own right with zero losses. Bama, who doesn't seem like they can be beat this year as long as Tua stays healthy. So um I mean that kind of is my top four um, pretty much in order of how I said it's so Obama Notre Dame, Clemson and LSU I'd probably have Michigan and Georgia right on the outside of that um but yeah I mean whoever I mean whoever wins that LSU Bama game looks like they're probably going to be the one seed even with one loss and uh you know, I, I think that's you know whether or not that's SEC um you know people you know loving on the SEC or not it's just, just I think it's one of those things and both those teams will end up having an impressive resume when the
1: season's over. Yeah, I agree. So, to give a couple of my takeaways, first of all, I was uh, my best friend got ordained in the uh, Lutheran Church this weekend, so that's where I was Saturday. I uh, I joked with him that uh, he couldn't have picked a better Saturday to do that um, <laughs> because you know when he uh, told me the date of his ordination, I immediately thought, oh, which Notre Dame game do I have to miss to uh, to go to this to this ordination because I wasn't going to miss his ordination. Let's just put it that way. I mean, some things in life are bigger than football. So, but anyway, uh, and he joked back obviously that he's like, yeah, that was, uh, he's not a Notre Dame fan. Um, he, he's like, that was obviously like my main goal was to, to get it on a non Notre Dame weekend. Um, but anyway, um, so, you know, we were kind of afterwards celebrating a little bit and, uh, I was in, um, Springfield, Ohio, which is a little bit West of uh, Columbus by about an hour. And, um uh, that was at pretty much an Ohio State bar, I guess, and um, I don't know. People were mad, obviously, and uh, I left that bar at like halftime, and I listened to that game on the radio, um, you know, the rest of the way home, and then uh, got home in time to uh, to catch the end of it. And you know, it's uh, it's interesting to hear the things that are coming out of Ohio State right now. I know there was a um, there's an Ohio State um, blog news source called uh boy i think it's 11 warriors that's what it is blanked for a second there and uh, they wrote an interesting piece and um if you haven't read this and you know you're interested at all in ohio state i i would encourage you to find it um but it's it's a piece where it was basically like ohio state could have solved its biggest problem in august but instead of solving the problem they suspended it for three weeks and i was like holy (laughs) moses like it's uh it's kind of funny the meltdown that Ohio State fans go into i guess um when they lose a game because they just they kind of don't know how to handle it and i you know i guess to a certain degree i can't blame them <laughs> if that makes sense so i don't know but it but it is interesting to see how Ohio State how everyone has said that they're you know this great team and all of that and they have great talent but you know they obviously every year have a game like this where they just get blown out on the road or at least in recent memory. I mean, you think back to Iowa last year and Purdue this year. So interesting to see kind of what's going on there and it'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back at all. But uh, yeah. And then to echo what you guys said just very quickly, I mean, because I pretty much feel the same way. um, I guess what I'll say about LSU is that we will uh, find out about them soon enough, I suppose. um, When they, uh, I mean, they will be, it'll be interesting to see where they come out in the initial, rankings of um, the college football playoff, which come out a week from Tuesday, which is probably when most of our listeners will be listening to the podcast version of this. Um, So that's the 30th. I wouldn't be surprised, especially if at first they're ranked ahead of Notre Dame and I won't really care because they're either going to prove it or they're going to get knocked out of that position um, on the third um, when they play Alabama. But then, I guess if that happens, if they if they prove it and they beat Alabama, then the question becomes: Is Alabama ahead of Notre Dame, which is another whole another subject. But uh, I don't really expect that to happen. I want to ask you guys this question. Speaking of Alabama, and then we'll go on to some more Notre Dame type talk. You know, Nathan kind of said this, and uh, since we started with Nathan, we'll we'll start with you on this one, Paul. But um, can any team beat Alabama this year, or is it all just futility as far as uh, you know? Are we all just playing for second? I guess.
3: I mean, it's you're, were, you're were talking about urban Meyer before a little bit. Um, and, 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 Ohio state kind of having this trend where they, they always play that shaky game. I think that's really what has defined kind of the line between urban Meyer, um, you know, Dabo and, and a Saban Saban doesn't allow that to happen. Um, yeah, you know, they have great guys, you know, but they don't lose to a Syracuse. Um, they don't lose to a Purdue. Um, I think uh, the toughest thing as a coach at any level is making sure your team is up against a subpar opponent. I don't care whether you're coaching JV basketball or JV baseball or you're coaching college football at the Division One level. It is one of the toughest things to do. Um, uh, that being said, why, why I think Alabama is consistently good every year is because their tune-up games are truthfully tune-up games. They learn as much about their team through those games as anybody else does. While other teams seem to struggle through games like that, and um, at times um, for this year, I I don't see anyone um, challenging them terribly. I mean, I, maybe I'm biased here. I do think Notre Dame has the ability. Um, if it ended up being Notre Dame and Alabama, I don't think it would be a blowout like 2012. Um, I think it'd be much closer than that. I would obviously give the edge to Alabama. Um, but I, I do think that of the teams that are kind of in the mix right now, um, I think that there are, there are dynamics of the Notre Dame team that would give them more fits than they may have seen this year so far. Um, yeah. But as it stands right now, um, David versus Goliath, I think. Okay. <laughs> Nathan, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I generally have that assumption as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's impressive what they're doing um the one thing i would say is i mean they really haven't played anybody yet um so i I do kind of want to watch that lsu game even though i think it's at home for alabama so they should win correct me if i'm wrong there but um assuming that's a home game for them i expect them to win but you know once they finally play like a, a true top 10 team and then you know maybe you see like a closer score for example um that that might be a better way to uh kind of gauge you know where they are comparatively to everybody else um, you know that that's around there um, but I mean I don't know it's it's one of those things where like, Alabama has never really had a quarterback like Tua in the Nick Saban era and you know now they finally have that guy might be a legitimate pro prospect and you know it just seems to you know drive in and drive out just you know just produce and um, you know and, and that's dangerous with all the other athletes they have on the field so um, and right now I would say that, yeah, it does look like a David and Goliath situation, but, um, you know, I do want to see them play someone like LSU or, you know, or Notre Dame or Clemson. Cause I do think those teams can provide certain levels of fits for them that could get them out of their comfort zone.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know if I can just interject my, uh, mildly lukewarm take into this is that if there is a team, I think that compete with Alabama, I really and truly think that it's Notre Dame because if you think about what Notre Dame does best, it's defend and it's get after the passer and, um, you know, defend against the pass and that type of thing. And Alabama, you know, I can't say that I've watched a ton of their football this year, but I've read what a lot of very knowledgeable people have said about them. And it's that their defense has a few cracks in it, especially in the running game and, you know, especially in places like the short passing game and things. And that's the type of thing that Notre Dame does well. But, you know, your point, Nathan is, uh, you know, in Paul too is, is well taken that, you know, we'll get some more clarity on just how good Alabama is when they, uh, start playing the LSUs and the Georgias of the world that can sort of hang with them a little bit at the very least. So we'll, we'll get some, some clarity there. Like a, like we all said. So moving on. So to talk a little bit more Notre Dame type stuff, obviously we've got a Navy game up on the horizon. Um, Uh, It's going to be, I think, a game that resembles Wake Forest, if I had to guess, um, as far as Notre Dame's ability to move the football. And uh, I think they'll get back on track after kind of a lackluster uh, performance here, uh, you know, this last week where they barely survived against Pittsburgh. Um, That said, I kind of want to talk before we talk Navy, and maybe we don't talk Navy that much because, I I mean, they're just – I don't know. We were talking online before, before we went online. I guess I mean to say that uh, you know Navy doesn't know what they're doing at the quarterback position currently. This is probably the you know worst Navy team in recent memory. So uh, you would think Notre Dame would put them away relatively easily. Um, but so you know before we talk about Navy, even though I just spent a minute talking about them um let's talk notre dame and you know we've kind of run through some of these things over at slap the sign to a certain extent so if you want some more you know written content make sure if you head on over to slap the sign but let's talk about you know things that uh we're encouraged with and then also maybe a little bit we'll get into some disappointments uh throughout the season um at this point we'll start with nathan on this one um what, Nathan, are you most uh, pleasantly surprised with in regards to anything Brian Kelly, Notre Dame football, anything personnel, anything at all?
2: I don't know. I, this one's pretty easy for me. Um, I think it has to be the quarterback position. I, mean, I think coming into the year, we you know i think over uh, at least that slapped the sign just when talk, with talking to you guys through our group chat and different things like that i mean i think we all thought wimbush would be you know would be better than um than last year and you know it turns out he was pretty much the same guy maybe a little bit better in his uh, pass efficiency or whatever the first 3 games but then you know ian book was kind of just sitting there and we didn't really know what to expect out of him if he were to ever be named the starter and I think he's been way, way, way better than anybody can expect. And, you know, he, if he was playing from, from game one, he would be a Heisman contender at this point. And, you know, I think that's probably the biggest surprise. Um, you know, and then outside of that, maybe just Brian Kelly actually changing from Wimbush to Ian book is, is is the next biggest surprise. So I think it all pretty much centers on the quarterback.
1: Yeah. I I tend to agree with you. And actually Paul tweet, and I conversed about this on Twitter that, you know, Mm -hmm. kudos to Brian Kelly for, uh, you know, going away from a guy who he seemed to be pretty sure about and Brandon Wimbush and then going to Ian book and let Ian book be who Ian book is. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think all three of us are kind of in agreement um, on that assessment, Paul, what's been your biggest, um, your biggest, boy, I just lost the word your biggest pleasant surprise,
3: I guess so far this year. Just to quickly echo that, I think you know I've been I've been a Brian Kelly critic over over I would say the the latter half of his tenure so far. But I have to give him credit where credit's due. Um, you know he's I think I said this in in a reply to one of your tweets that he's fallen in love with this guy he can throw downfield. And I think if there's one part of Ian Book's um, performance that you can be critical of, it's throwing downfield. So it's really it's really kind of um, I guess a breath of fresh air to see Brian Kelly not hitting the panic button um on a guy who has not seemed to fit his scheme that he's liked to run over the last nine years um so that you know that's that's great i think that we were going to have an improved defense uh i honestly didn't think it was going to be this good um i i I knew that we would we would certainly improve from you know from last year um but this is you know people talk about you know championship level defenses championship level offenses um in my opinion, this is truthfully a championship-level defense, um, and I won't say it's a surprise that they're good. I'll say that I'm pleasantly surprised that they're stellar, yeah. um, from day one. I mean, um, and 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 I think I mean they they made Patterson's life just miserable, his first game for Michigan. Yep. Um, and that so again, I'm not terribly surprised that they're playing well, but at this level and that they've sustained it so far. Um, has been one of the most pleasant surprises for me, um, especially going into the second half of the year and this playoff push. We see we see in the playoff what what um, that one more defensive stand does for you. Um, so that's super encouraging. Yeah,
1: and I, I don't really have an, a pleasant surprise other than the two that you guys mentioned. So I'm going to sort of echo what you guys said. Um, you know, as far as Ian Book, you know, I I think I was surprised the level to which Um, he has been able to perform. I kind of always thought, though, that it seemed as though he would fit what Notre Dame and Chip Long wanted to do with the offense better than Brandon Wimbush did. And, you know, that's where I think there was kind of been maybe a little bit of a disconnect. I think, you know, there were stories coming out of Notre Dame that Chip Long wanted, you know, Ian Book for a while and was pushing for it, and Brian Kelly finally sort of relented Uh, because Chip Long wants to, you know, have those, you know, you hear Notre Dame people say, uh, coaching staff say that certain pass plays are an extension of the running game, and it drives certain people crazy, but that's kind of what he wants is those short, uh, you know, those short intermediate routes and accuracy and and tight spaces, and that's what Ian Book gives you. So, you know, I'm surprised that they went to it more than I am surprised that uh, Book – has done what he's done. I I don't think I would have said that I thought that Book would be, you know, the uh, highest ranked as far as completion percentage quarterback in the nation, um, an eighth in overall passing efficiency. I don't know that I thought it would be that great, but I'm not surprised that he's performing as well. And then to echo what Paul said, you know, I'm surprised that, you know, I knew Notre Dame's defense was going to be good. I'm a little surprised that Drew Tranquil has transitioned to inside backer quite so, as seamlessly as he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm a little bit surprised that, like, Asmar Bilal has played as well as he had because I thought if you were going to look at the 11 starters, I thought that he was by, by far the... Uh, not the I, saying the worst one is maybe a little bit harsh, but maybe the the weak link I suppose that was gonna have to be covered up because just because Drew Tranquil was so good at the rover position a year ago, and the same thing goes with Jalen Elliott. Like I was critical, I have been critical with Jalen Elliott, but. Um, And he's messed up some throughout the season, but he's always kind of found a way to, you know, keep himself in the rotation. And by in the rotation, I mean he never leaves the field because he makes big plays. And uh, Mm -hmm. he's continued to make big plays. And he's, you know, he intercepted a couple balls in whatever game that was. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, I've just been surprised. Defensively, I thought there were going to be some holes, and those holes haven't been glaring holes Mm -hmm. And that's what's really made the defense, you know, like Paul was saying, go from a a pretty good defense to a national championship type defense, in my opinion. So um, let's go with um, what has been, and we'll start with Paul because I just like to alternate, what's been the uh, biggest disappointment for you, Paul?
3: Um, I knew that they were going to be young, um, but I think we saw this against Pittsburgh. Um, I have some concerns on the offensive line especially with bars out, I think that, um, you know, uh, and, and then what I think happens, and maybe, maybe I'm, I'm actually exacerbating this a bit because I saw what it did to Ian Book. Um, Ian Book uh, had more happy feet against Pittsburgh than I think we've seen at all the entirety of the year. Um, and that was just with, with, with um, a little bit of pressure. So I'm not dying on them at all. Um, but, and I knew that they were going to, you know, that, that we were filling some big holes and like I said, bars went out and help. but that's probably um, that's probably one of my main concerns going in um, to the rest of the season, uh, especially you know if we're lucky enough to make the playoffs. Um, that's going to be um, a unit that I look at um, for the duration of the year.
2: Nathan, yeah, I mean, um, for the sake of. You know, bringing some other stuff up, I'll, uh, I'll I'll go with something different. But just to echo kind of the thoughts on the offensive line, real quick. I mean, obviously losing bars is a huge deal, and you know, he had he might have been the offensive MVP, um, even even over uh, Book, you know, until he got hurt. I mean, he was he was, he really took his game to an ex- to the, to another level, I and mean, he was really helping out with Liam Eikenberg, who's been, I think, actually pretty good, and you know, Sam Mustermann's been steady, maybe not improved as much as we wanted him to, but he's been good. Um, but, you know Tommy Kramer. I mean, probably their highest-rated recruit um, in the whole, you know, in their whole program right now. I mean, he's he's been struggling, and you know, I think Robert Hanks has been fine overall. Um, you know, and has gotten consistently better since probably you know the Michigan game. I think he struggled a little bit against Pittsburgh, but I mean, I think the whole, whole offensive line struggled against Pittsburgh, obviously. But um, you know, it looks like there might be some change coming with uh, maybe Aaron Banks taking over as the main left guard, um, and then Rulin kind of coming in and out with. Uh, with Kramer on the right side. So I kind of want to see how, how the offensive line looks when that happens or if it happens. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's obviously a big deal, but the one, I, the one part I want to bring up is probably the nickel position. Um, and I know that with, uh, with, uh, Crawford going down for, you know, the third time in four years is really a big deal for, for Notre Dame. And for him, obviously, um, uh, but I, I wasn't expecting it to be such a huge problem. I think when people think of the nickel position, they're like, "Oh, that's usually your third corner," and you're like, "Oh, that's not that big of a deal if you miss your third corner." And um, overall, I mean, that's probably been the weak link of their defense. Um, you obviously have Griffith as a true freshman, and you know I think he's gotten steadily better as the season goes on, so it gives me hope. Um, but you know, Nick Coleman as a senior, I mean, he's I think a lot of people thought he was going to be you know pretty good this year, and You know, he's been sort of non-existent, and Griffith has taken over that job. So I would say that's a a big disappointment for me at the moment, but I also think it has the opportunity to become not necessarily a strength, but something that you're not worried about come season end as Griffith continues to get playing time. Uh, But right now, definitely uh, the first seven games into the year, uh, I think it's been a disappointment overall.
1: Yeah, I I have to echo what you say about Nick Coleman because he's a guy that – I, I don't know. It just seems like he was a kid that I was rooting for out of high school. Um, I think Nathan, at least you kind of know this, maybe you forget. I have Archbishop Alter ties from, you know, going to school in Dayton and coaching girls basketball there at Alter for a while, which is where Nick Coleman went to, uh, went to high school. So I kind of, um, you know, I actually got to meet and talk to Nick Coleman when he was, I believe he was a sophomore at the time. So, he, you know, naturally when you know a kid, you, uh, I don't know, you want to, um, you, you root for him. And things didn't work out as a corner and they started to look like they were kind of coming into fruition as a safety. And then, you know, when, especially this year when Sean Crawford went down, well, my, I think my initial thought at the very least was, okay, well, this is going to be Nick Coleman. He's played corner and safety and that's sort of, you know, Notre Dame's nickel, I mean, it's a corner. It, but it's also, you know, you have to do run support type things. And I thought, like I say, that Nick Coleman was very obviously a tailor-made fit for that position, and it just hasn't worked out for whatever reason. So, you know, that's been disappointing. I uh, I don't know. I, uh, I wish the best for Nick Coleman, but I, I wish, you know, I wish he would have taken that position over, I guess. And that's kind of, like, my biggest disappointment. So, you know, I know there was a lot. I mean, there has been a lot made out of—Nick you know, Coleman was— at Ulster, he was like a star running back and kind of played defense, um, you know, a little bit sparingly because he was taking so many hits on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and he was kind of almost recruited more as like an athlete, um, that would kind of fill into that, uh, that defensive back type of position. It just, like I say, hasn't, uh, hasn't quite worked out for him, unfortunately. So that's, that's probably my biggest disappointment going forward. And, you know, the offensive line has been spotty for sure. Um, Every time we think that uh, they're taking a step forward, it seems like they take a step back. And, you know, most recently, the biggest step back they took, like you guys both said, is losing Alex Bars. And you kind of can't, unfortunately, um, account for that, I suppose. But, you know, I just thought certain guys were going to be better, and they just haven't been. But, you know, I guess the good news is that these things are things that uh, probably, you know— Notre Dame can attempt to fix as they go these last five weeks to a certain extent because I think that, uh, you know, Bill Connolly's S&P 500, you know, they, Bill Connolly gives Notre Dame like a 31% chance to uh, to win out the rest of their games, which is high compared to, you know, some of these other teams. Um, their biggest, uh, if I remember correctly, the, the game they're most likely to use, lose is USC – and they're still, you know, 69% favored to win that game, according to uh, these kind of advanced statistics. So, um, I don't know. I, I think Notre Dame is in a good spot college football playoff wise. They're going to be able to do some things and figure some stuff out before it really starts mattering in December, assuming that they run the table, which I think they will. And, um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. So I guess when we're talking about these disappointments, I I guess what I'm trying to get at is that one of the disappointments isn't that Notre Dame is sitting at four and three right now, if that makes
3: sense. It's a sign of a good team. I mean, I mean, it's a sign of a good team that despite injuries, despite some people not playing to their potential, I mean, you're the number three team in the country. So um, that hasn't been the case for Notre Dame, you know, in in, in the recent past. Um, we've been unable to overcome those sorts of um, those sorts of uh, I guess dilemmas, and then we lose by a score. you know yeah. um, now we're, now we're winning we're winning closer games, um, yeah. which is encouraging to see. Absolutely.
1: Let me ask you guys this, and this will be kind of the last question that we talk about before we get on out of here. Um, obviously, um, Notre Dame's gonna need to beat the big boys, you know, overall good team performances to do that, right? Um, but which guy, if you had to pick one guy, and maybe you can do one on either side of the football if it's if it's too hard to pick one because, you know, even as I ask this question, question I don't know who I'm choosing. Um, what guy needs to either continue strong play and, you know, continue good development or a guy that hasn't uh, quite panned out um, or maybe hasn't reached his full potential. Let's say what guy needs to perform well for Notre Dame to continue to take steps in the right direction. Nathan, uh, we'll go ahead and start with you on this one.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I'll probably I'll probably take two just because uh, you gave me that opportunity. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm going will go a little outside the box on offense, and I'm going to say Jafar Armstrong should be coming back from um, you know, his uh, knee infection this week against Navy. And I think he brings a wrinkle to the offense that they were really hoping for when Dexter Williams came back. And that is the fact that he can play slot. He can come in, uh, catch balls out of the backfield, you know, and then on top of that, he was producing very well at the running back position in general. So, you know, now you have this one, two, three punch, you know, and, Typically, teams are happy if they have a one-two punch. So now they have this, you know, these, this three-headed monster in the backfield, where you know Dexter Williams is the guy that can, you know, pretty much break it loose anytime you want, and you know get some tough yardage. Tony Jones can catch and also get some tough yardage, and then Jafar Armstrong has, you know, pretty much shown the capability that Dexter Williams has at the same time. So I really like that uh, when he comes back on the offensive side of the ball. And then on defense, I think it kind of goes back to what I was just talking about with the nickel position, uh, the growth of of uh, Houston Griffith. You know, like at the end of the year, you always kind of stay with these guys that are early enrollees. They're not really freshmen anymore, so he can he kind of produce more like a a guy that's sort of like a a second year player towards the back half of the year, um, or even a guy like Nick Coleman if he can you know come in and you know show some veteran leadership and, you know, produce to a level that they need. So that, that, I think that nickel position on defense can, you know, be something that um, not necessarily, like I said, not necessarily becomes a strength of the team later on down the road, but something that you're not worried about, um,
3: you know, if, if, especially if you're in the college football playoff. Okay. Paul? Uh, okay. So you, you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned Dexter a little bit. You mentioned. I'm going to say, um, oh, just for the sake of argument, I'm going to go with Boykin offensively. Um, I think that, um, I don't know, it just seems to be involved. He, he's he's definitely somebody that Book trusts. Yes. Um, and as far as I'm concerned there, as you have a, a quarterback who hasn't, who's only played realistically a few games, for them to get on that page early uh, and often uh, is super, um, it gives confidence, more confidence to, to Book obviously um but i think that i think that boy can needs to continue to be that guy for book uh for the offense to be successful especially um if we want to see book kind of start to to be the guy who can hit those 20 25 yard passes downfield um uh, so i'm going to go with him then i'm going to say uh if i'm picking another i think Hillary. i mean he needs to continue to be disruptive um and like he's been uh and um He's the firecracker. I mean, he's. I mean, he. People, you know, it seems like the whole team rallies around him. Um, and when he catch fire, he catches fire. everyone else does too? So I'm going to say Tillery and Boykin.
1: I'm going to uh, agree with a lot of what you said, both of you, and kind of go in a different route. Offensively, I think the guy that needs to step up that hasn't produced yet, and I'm actually going to name kind of two. And this will make more sense when I actually name them. But the two I'm going to pick. Are uh, the combat is the combination of Chase Claypool slash Kevin Austin. I think that if Notre Dame is going to be really good offensively, they've got to find another guy that can, um, produce catching the ball outside of Boykin and outside of what you get from Alizé Mack and what you're going to get on a, you know, some occasions from, from Chris Fink. I just think that they need another threat of a big play, um, Obviously, Claypool's the guy that you're going to look for to do that most often because he has the most experience. But if if Claypool and Kevin Austin, in my opinion, get going in the passing game, the second half of the season, these last five games of the season, I guess, then I think that's what takes Notre Dame to the next level. Because if you are able to take the top off the defense, and, you know, Miles Boykin's a great receiver, but he's not the type of guy necessarily that you're going to try to, you know, just – you know, have that track speed, the, the Will Fuller type to take the top off a of defense. If there's going to be anybody like that, I think it's Claypool, to be honest with you. And if he's able to do that and take the take the top off of the defense, it's going to open up a lot of things for Boykin and Mac and others, you know, a little bit more underneath and in the running game as well. So those are my guys on offense, mostly Claypool with a little bit of, of Kevin Austin. Defensively, I am going to agree with Paul on this one that it's got to be Tillery because, um, and it's not that he's played poorly by any stretch. It's that, you know, and I have to, I guess, give a uh, um, an assist to uh, the Irish Illustrated podcast uh, today. Talked about Tillery as kind of like the uh, – they didn't use this word, but I'm going to use it – the linchpin of the Notre Dame defense. And their analogy, which I really appreciated being a basketball coach, is that, you know – if, you know, you've got a great center in basketball, all, all, automatically it's, you know, all the shooters around the perimeter get to, you know, get more open, right? So, you know, if you've got Shaquille O'Neal in the middle, that makes things easier for Kobe Bryant on the perimeter. Well, if you've got Jerry Tillery doing what he's supposed to do in the middle, makes it easier for Dalen Hayes and Julian O'Quarr to do what they do on the outside. So, um, You know, if Notre Dame is going to make the college football playoff and they're going to, you know, win in the semifinals and have a chance against a team like Alabama or something, they're going to have to pressure the quarterback, and that starts up front with Tillery taking double teams so that those guys on the outside get those one-on-one matchups. So that's kind of what I'll go with.
2: Quick thing here, Ben. First of all, you didn't mention Khalid Kareem, and that's
1: embarrassing. Oh boy.
2: (laughs) <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, the second, uh, I'm actually glad you mentioned Claypool. I was—he was probably my second, my second choice after Armstrong. And you saw it in the Pittsburgh game when he ran that slant route and you know, almost broke it for a touchdown, but just kind of got you know that shoestring tackle. He really is the, the guy on that offense that, at least at the receiver position, where you know almost any time he touches the ball, he can you know he can score. Um, anyway, and that's something where I think you might actually see here later on as the season goes on. And um, or in the second half, I should say, uh, I, th- I think there's going to be a few times where they're able to get him the ball in space, and he's going to be able to do something with it. Um, and then on defense, you know, just to kind of mention another name, just because I, I think it's kind of you said, it's kind of tough to choose. Uh, Troy Pride, I think, is a guy that's not talked about enough. I think he was the guy that I really thought was going to have a breakout year um, on the defensive side. Him and Khalid Kareem were kind of like my two guys, and obviously Kareem has broken out. Um, but if Troy Pride can be in that lockdown corner, you know, and get healthy, um, I mean, that's only going to help help that secondary and help the pass rushing more cause I I think that there's still a lot that he can he can bring to this team. And uh, uh, so if if he's able to, uh, you know, just be that guy that I thought I think a lot of us thought he was going to be this year, then you know that's something that's pretty scary. Uh, that's already you know to an already great defense.
1: Yeah. Nathan out here, uh, you know, calling me out on my own podcast. (laughs) Sheesh. Stay classy, Nathan. Stay classy. (laughs) On that note, listeners, uh, thanks for for listening. Obviously, we've been live on Twitch. We've had a couple of viewers bounce in and out. uh, So we're thankful for them. Um, if you're listening to this live we thank you as well and obviously you know if you're listening to this in podcast form probably on uh, on Tuesday the 23rd we like you just as much so if you would continue to spread the word check out under the dome nd.com for all of the uh, podcast links we're all over the place apple podcasts google play stitcher podbean all of that stuff you could continue to spread the word write uh, reviews and all of that for us that would be absolutely fantastic and we'd appreciate that a lot but um all of that being said um i think it's uh, i think we're about at the time to uh to get out of here we will be back sunday night most likely after uh, actually i lied monday night most likely after the Navy game talking with uh, Jack Leniart, who's going out to the Navy game, and uh, Mason Plummer as well. We've kind of got that lined up already. So um, we'll be doing that Monday night. That'll be the next time you hear from us. Um, obviously, big game coming up with Navy um, because the next game on the schedule is always the biggest game. There's my coaching cliche of the podcast. So, all of that being said, thanks for uh, sticking with us. Thanks for listening, and thanks for everything that you do as far as spreading this podcast, reading my work, and the work of all the other podcast guests and Slab Design writers as well. So we appreciate that very much, and until next time, Go Irish!